1: Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven. Are you a leftist? If you said no, then why haven't you listened to Daily Wire Backstage, all that Chaz edition yet? Myself, Jeremy Boring, Ben Shapiro, and another person I can't remember, discuss the Chaz or CHOP or whatever it's calling itself now, cancel culture, black leftist matter, and more. You don't wanna miss it unless you're a leftist.
2: Welcome to the Daily Wire Backstage. It is Thursday, June 18th, a somber day for America and indeed the world. Sir Paul McCartney is 78 years old.
0: Two of us riding nowhere, spending someone's hard-earned pay. You
2: and me Sunday driving, not arriving. Writing letters on my wall, you and me burning matches, lifting latches. out of
0: here two of us wearing raincoats standing solo in the sun you and me chasing paper getting nowhere
3: Show:
2: I take us really seriously. I think people, <laughs> I think people when they want hard-driving news and commentary, they come to The Daily Wire. Hey everybody, welcome to The Daily Wire backstage and all that jazz. We are excited to be with you. And, uh, you know, we're really just excited to do anything. It's a special, of course, Paul McCartney's birthday episode. And so I'd first like to say uh, thank you to Paul McCartney. And also, we're sorry. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not only Paul McCartney's birthday. Also born today, uh, our very own Matt Walsh. And we're really excited. Matt's going to be joining us a little bit later so we can wish him a happy birthday. So be sure to stick around uh, for the, the insights and, uh, and explanations that you can only get from one Matt Walsh. As always, I'm joined today by the entire, I think, lovable cast of the Daily Wire Island. We have Benjamin Shapiro. We have Andrew Clavin. We have future Chaz Warlord Michael Knowles, and we have, you got it, the lovely Alicia Kraus. Hey, Alicia, how's it going?
4: It's good to be here. You know, I am pretty religious about listening to all the Daily Wire podcasts every day. And if you and Michael just sang a Beatles song every single day, I might actually listen to the Michael Knowles show every day. Hey, how about so that? I'm a big fan of doing that, even though we all know Ben doesn't like good music, let alone the Beatles. Everyone, this is your opportunity to become a Daily Wire subscriber. And why should you do that? So you can hang out with us and the guys tonight and be sure to get a question in this evening. We're gonna be running a lot of questions by the guys. I promise I'm gonna to try to keep them short and get lots of answers in so you guys can ask them about COVID, about Chaz, about why Michael Knowles hasn't been fired yet, about whether or not Drew likes to powder his head before the show. And if you're not an All Access (laughs) Daily Wire member, you are missing out for sure, because All Access members get to participate in all of our All Access live discussions, where one of our Daily Wire hosts gets to hang out with you guys via live stream. And this Saturday, by the way, there's gonna be a really fun one, Bring Your Covfefe, because our very own Michael Knowles will be hosting a watch party live stream of President Trump's rally. You know, that the one that the mainstream media is saying is awful and is going to kill grandma, even though riots and protests are totally fine. So you can be a part of that Michael Knowles chat during President Trump's live rally if you are an all-access member. And in addition to that, you get to ask us real-time Q&A and discussions like the one that we are going to have after backstage tonight. So after backstage, log on over to dailywire.com if you're an all-access member, because we're going to be doing one of those super fun discussions again. And I've been told that there's going to be some new things the system is improving, we're gonna Mm -hmm. be able to respond to people, it's gonna be lots of fun. And it will be available on both the website and the Daily Wire app, which is super cool. So tune in and get those questions ready. And if you're not an all-access member, I'm going to say it again, you're definitely missing out. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe to get your two, not one, but two, leftist tiers tumblers, that's hot or cold, by the way, and 15% off using the coupon code backstage. So that's dailywire.com slash subscribe, and use that coupon code backstage, and I'll see you guys in a little bit.
2: Thanks, Alicia. One of the things that I really want to focus more with this show is taking more questions from the audience. That's really uh, part of the part of the beauty of this show is getting to interact with our Daily Wire, uh, our Daily Wire members and subscribers. So we are going to try to be better about that. But there is so much news that we have to talk about today. We got this unbelievable docket decision. We have the Bolton uh, leaks, which are definitely something that we want to talk about, as well as all the anarchy, chaos, looting, and peaceful protests that are burning down cities near you nationwide. But before we do that, I I said last week that I was going to actually show everyone, if if you're watching the show, not listening, if you're listening, just use your imagination. But I said that I was actually going to bring in and display my Raycon earbuds. And you thought that I was lying. I was not lying. These are my Raycons. They are the greatest noise canceling earbuds. Listen, look at the seal that these things make. You would never notice that this was in an ear. Now I can hear nothing because I have like the producer in this ear saying, It's an audio show. Nobody can even see these earbuds. (laughs) And then in this here, Michael probably laughing at me, but how would I know? Because the fit is so good, so cozy. You don't look like an insect overlord like you do with those other popular uh, earbuds. Go on over to Raycon. Get your Raycons right now. We've been telling you about how great they are. You can get them for half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market, including the newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds. They're the best ones. Six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that does not make you look like you are an insect. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable, perfect for conference calls, for binging podcasts, including this podcast, uh, which if you're listening to this on anything other than a Raycon, you know what? I'm still happy that you're listening to it, but you would enjoy it even more if you were listening on Raycons. Every one of us has them. Every one of us uses them. Benjamin, uh, why don't you tell people about your experience with Raycon?
3: They are indeed spectacular. If you are used to those one size fits all one size fits all earbuds you are missing out. These things cost you a lot less than those do and again, they will fit your ear properly. They have a variety of fits. They come in different colors. You can really customize. Now is the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com/backstage that is b u y r a y c o n.com slash backstage at buyraycon.com slash backstage for 15% off your Raycon wireless earbuds. Again, that's buyraycon.com slash backstage and make the magic happen. And that way you can actually listen to the song at the beginning of our shows. Or alternatively, just wait until next episode and then do it so you don't have to suffer through that. (laughs) I always think secretly Ben loves us. I think so. But very secretly, like (laughs) deep, deep, deep down. So all I can think of is I was desperately hoping that Knowles had COVID so that you would both die by the end of the song because you were singing in close proximity with one another. (laughs) No, but I'm a
0: (laughs) protester, so I can't get COVID.
3: (laughs) I'm actually immune (laughs) to it
0: because I protest.
2: (laughs) So there's some specific news stories that we should talk about, but before we do, I think most people who aren't maybe as listen, everyone's in the news these days, but maybe people don't follow it in real time the way that we do. And, and perhaps the, the biggest thing on everyone's mind is more of a, of a macro, a high-level look at what's happening. There's this sense that things are truly unraveling, that we're losing uh, our society right now, that we've lost our collective minds uh, between the lockdowns, the COVID, you know, the incredibly high death toll from COVID, the incredibly high unemployment numbers from the lockdowns. You have uh, the insanity happening in the streets. You have uh, this DA's decision to prosecute this police officer in Atlanta. People... A lot of the people who write in, a lot of the people who I interact with, I think people just don't know what to make of this moment, how to stay optimistic in this moment, how not to let a moment like this crush you. And it's occurred to me over these last weeks that that's actually, it seems that that's the objective of the media right now. It's just to overwhelm people, to crush their spirits. Uh, could, we, could we maybe offer people a little bit of encouragement, a, a little bit of perspective on how history uh, moves and, and what we might make of this moment, what it means for our futures? Drew, what do you think?
1: Well, you know, I I said when uh, when the 2016 election happened, I said this is a tragic election and I I realized only years later that Americans don't have the word tragic in their dictionary. They always think there's some way out of the uh, tragedy, but there's not. I, one of two tragic things was going to happen. One was that Hillary Clinton would be elected and the fact that our empty and destroyed uh, elite systems were going to just spread. And the other was that Donald Trump would be elected and they were going to be exposed as being as empty uh, and as destroyed and as corrupt as they are. And that's what's happening now. So 2 they're one of two out outcomes of that situation. When we see that our courts are lousy, our uh, News uh, is lousy. Our legislature doesn't work and all those things. When you see that happening, either it's going to be like Lansing a boil and better days will come of it. We'll have to suffer through the pain and better days will come of it. Or it'll be uh, the end of the republic. And I'm betting it's going to be like Lansing a boil. I'm betting we're going to have some pain to go through, but it's going to be a good it's going to ultimately be a good thing that we have been seen exposed that our elites are empty. They're misguided. They're wrong. And uh, and they're not on our side.
2: Ben, how do you hold up during times? I mean, you spend your entire day in the news. How do you keep it from overwhelming you?
3: I mean, I stop watching the news, which is a horrible pitch for our shows, but that is what it is. I mean, the, the truth is, the more you're in the news, the more depressed you are. If you're actually spending time with your family, you're, you're far less depressed. The problem is that the news has intruded into every area of our lives. And that, mm-hmm. that really is the culturally totalitarian moment we're in. You can't watch a movie. You can't log on to Amazon to buy a product. You, you, you literally cannot. You, you're getting notes from your favorite exercise joint about about black lives matter and the various ways in which you have experienced white privilege and you're like man i just go there to pick up weights like what are you even talking about it's it's very very irritating obviously and and more than irritating it's un, it's disunifying at a time when unity seems really easy right i mean we all agree i think as that uh, as that video that our friend ali stuckey put together that knowles was in and Claven and was in bad things are bad like these are these are very <laughs> obvious things yeah. but there, there's an attempt afoot to disunify the country in the aftermath. I think probably of the Cold War, there was a question as to what could unify Americans, and there are really two ways that you can achieve unity. Way to achieve unity, number one, is you set a few top-line rules, and then so long as everybody obeys those top-line rules, you can do what you want, right? This was sort of the founding vision of what unity would look like. You'd have a couple of rules at the federal level, and then pretty much do what you want, have at it, right? Enjoy, go to your local community, and be. And and then there's way, number two, to achieve unity, and that is purity rituals and Maoist struggle sessions and top-down cram-downs in every area of American life and American culture. And that's what we're watching right now, And it's really uncomfortable. And so my hope lies in the fact that this is a very uncomfortable moment. I don't see a lot of people who are looking at this and going, man, I feel like we're going to come out of this thing so much stronger. There's a purifying fire. We're going to come out forged into a more unified country. No one feels like that. Everybody feels like it's falling apart because it turns out that totalitarianism is not all that attractive, either culturally or governmentally.
2: So, Michael, it's the only person uh, on the show who actually supports the Spanish Inquisition.
0: (laughs) All the rest of it. No one expects it, but I support (laughs) it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: how, how are you keeping your head during these times?
0: I think it's it, if I'm going to find a silver lining in the storm cloud, it is this. It's clarifying a lot of things here. I think there's been an impulse, especially among conservatives, who tend to be nice guys, who want to find common ground with people, who really hate the divisiveness that the left has foisted on us, racially, sexually, the list goes on and on for decades now. We wanna find this common ground and say, maybe you've got a point, leftists. And one thing we're seeing here is they don't have a point. They don't have a point. And and furthermore, if we pretend and we lie and we say they do have a point, that's only gonna lead to more mayhem. They've been telling us for years and years now that there's institutional racism and institutional oppression. It dawned on me during the last few weeks, the left controls all the institutions. They control the media, they <laughs> control Hollywood, they control big tech, they control corporate America, they control the administrative government, on and on and on, right? So if there were institutional racism, whose fault would that be? It would be their fault. The, s- the second thing that occurred to me during this time is conservatives have been so bullied and we're nice guys and we want to prove that we're not racists, right? So we post the black square to ins- ins- Instagram, we say black lives matter, Nobody in this country, nobody thinks that black lives don't matter, okay? When you say black lives matter, you are signing on to a radical organization that on their very website says one of their goals is to dismantle the Western prescribed nuclear family. You don't need to be bullied into going along with that. Even people all the way up to the White House have been buying into some of these premises just to be nice guys, just to show that we're all coming together. And we see the consequences of pushing those lies in Atlanta. We see a uh, yep. cop being charged with murder unjustly. We see private businesses going up in flames. I think it's clarifying, and I think what it tells all of us is a lesson that we don't want to learn, but it's that we need to grow a spine, stand up for the truth, and not spout leftist lies, even if we think it'll make us all come together, because it won't.
2: Yeah, that, that actually segues nicely into the stack decision today, because I think that John Roberts is a guy who really believes that he can play nice. I think he thinks that he has a singular role to play in unifying the country, preserving the courts by removing but you know, listen, he votes our way 80, 90 percent of the time, right? So it's not like he's a complete disaster. But then on these very important cases, which he perceives to be really divisive at a cultural level, he always errs on on the side of appease the left, don't compromise, uh you know, don't don't turn the left's ire uh, against the court. And even just in the last what, 72 hours that's brought us two court cases that fundamentally change the country. I mean, this idea uh, from, from the the decision last week, the idea that uh, sex can be uh, defined as identity, sex, gender identity, and not by uh, biology. Gorsuch himself, writing the majority opinion, said that no one who wrote that law could have possibly envisioned that interpretation, and yet he believes it's some sort of textual uh, interpretation. And then today, this decision that, I guess, if... One administration illegally passes uh, through executive fiat some sort of regulation. The next administration can't, by executive fiat, uh, turn back. Like, What is the standard? And the standard is, well, let's just be nice and get along.
0: Am I missing something? Illegal and unconstitutional, by the way, by the administration's own admission when they were doing it. Sure.
1: I think I think you're being too nice to John Roberts. I I think the man is a coward. When he Mm -hmm. did the Obamacare decision, uh, friends of mine who supported him said, no, no, he's just telling you that you're going to have to fix this by your vote. He's not letting you off the hook for having voted for Obama. But this decision is really different. This is a cynical, uh, yeah. completely ridiculous decision that says exactly what you said: that that Obama can take un- an, un- an admittedly unconstitutional action by executive order, but Trump can't erase it by executive order, and. You know, what he said basically was you you didn't do this procedurally correctly. Uh, and if if I were Donald Trump, which thank heavens I'm not. But if I were, <laughs> what I would do is I'd come back to him within a week with a thing from uh, the Justice Department that does it pre- procedurally correctly and really stuff it to him. Because I just think he's a coward. I disagree ab- about the Gorsuch decision. I disagree with what people are saying it said. I think it's an absurd decision, but I don't think it's an illogical decision. I think he wasn't saying that sex includes transgenderism. He was saying that if you penalize somebody for doing, uh, penalize a man for doing the same thing a woman does, that's a discrimination under sex, which is a really bizarre, but logical uh, um, example of textualism. But, th- but this, this, mm-hmm. this Roberts decision is just an act of cowardice.
2: So Ben, you're, you're one of the only conservatives in America who actually opposed Roberts uh, during his confirmation. Uh, do you think Drew's reading that correctly?
3: I think that John Roberts' view of the Constitution and judicial activism is pretty simple, and that is that he misinterprets judicial activism, and he doesn't like judicial activism, to mean the judiciary interfering in the process. And so, if the judiciary interferes in the process, this constitutes activism. Now, the way that constitutionalists and textualists traditionally have read judicial activism is judicial activism is rewriting the law, rewriting the Constitution toward political ends. But Roberts, as an institutionalist, which is how he's usually described, uh, yeah. that, that means that he's, he's usually trying to keep the court out of fights. Now, what's weird is, of course, the LGBT case. In that case, he voted with the majority, but that cuts against the idea that it really should be left to the legislature, which is normally where you would expect Roberts to come down. I have a feeling the reason that he voted with the majority in that particular case is because if he had not voted with the majority, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is writing that opinion. right? And if Ruth mm-hmm. Bader Ginsburg writes that opinion, you get uh, an excoriating routine against religious America and the decision goes much further than it does, right? Gorsuch basically says, don't worry, there'll be carve-outs for religious institutions, there'll be carve-outs for ministerial exceptions, and all the, the rest of this. Uh, and so my read on Roberts is that, not that not that you know it's, it's a matter of personal cowardice, but that Roberts was never a particularly originalist guy. He was never a textualist. There was no long history. Gorsuch is more of a shock in that LGBT case only because, again, there is no way to interpret the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to include sexual orientation, let alone gender identity. There's just no way to do it. Uh, and, and the idea that he is going to backfeed that, that he's going to backfill that, that sort of meaning into the word sex, when clearly that's not what it means. It creates all sorts of Ill- 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 illogic in the, in the structure of the Civil Rights Act itself. As I've pointed out, it brings Title Seven into direct conflict with Title IX, because right. now what about the fact that you're supposed to have separate funding for men and women's sports? What constitutes a man or a woman, right? Clearly, this is not what was meant by the law. And Democrats didn't even think this is what was meant by the law, which is why they've been pursuing the Equality Act for all these years, trying to actually rewrite the law to include all these things that Gorsuch just rewrote the law to include. So the Gorsuch decision is a lot more troubling to me than, the, uh, than, than whatever Roberts does. As far as the DACA decision, uh, the, the real key there is that Roberts, and when Trump said, they just don't seem to like me, That's kind of right. I mean, that kind of is right because basically, what the decision is is, if he had done it the right way, then probably we would let it go. But he did it the wrong way, and so we're not going to let it go. Right? And and they had similar words with regard to even the the travel ban. Right? They said, well, we'll kind of let it go, but we really don't like his verbiage very much. Uh, You know, it just demonstrates all of the trouble that you run into when you're President Trump and you use your Twitter account to do random stuff. But obviously, it's it's a very bad decision and. As Thomas says, it really does leave the door wide open to Donald Trump as he walks out the door in in either six months or four years, putting out a series of sweeping executive actions and then basically daring the next administration to knock them down.
2: Yeah, I want to. <laughs> I actually. want I just go ahead, Drew, please.
1: Well, I just I just want to say about this Gorsuch decision that the 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 thing that I'm trying to clarify is that Gorsuch was being a textualist, but not an originalist. What he was what he was basically saying is if John. If, if Mary sleeps with a man and John sleeps with a man and you penalize John, you're only penalizing him because he's a man. So essentially he was saying there is no traits that are natural to men and women, which is that. That's really what he's saying, which is a spectacular uh, thing for a Supreme Court justice to say. And it's a, such a bad decision because of that. He's not saying that they what they mean by this is you can't penalize somebody for being gay. What he's saying is that being gay is an act determined by your sex, yeah. and and that's nuts. I mean, that is a nutty thing to say, but it, but it makes this kind of crazy sense outside of real life, if you see what I mean. And, if, and I don't disagree life.
2: with what with what you're saying, Drew, or, or and I don't even disagree with what you're saying, Ben either. I think that it winds up being more simple than that, though. I think that these guys put their finger up and they realize the cultural winds are blowing so hard yeah. that they do not want history to judge them. What what they're what they're the most afraid of is being a uh, it, it, Ben. Is it Plessy v. Ferguson, like, or is it Brown v. Board? W- which one undoes the other one? Like the, the worst, well, the
3: worst thing right, to you, them. You don't, want, you, you don't want to be Plessy v. Ferguson. You don't want to reversed, be Plessy v. Right?
2: Ferguson. Like, I think that's how they see their role is. Listen, th- this is all fate accompli. We don't want to be remembered as the guys who are on the wrong side of history. To use Barack Obama's. Well,
0: well the the history point here, I think, is the key to understanding this. And this is what Senator Josh Hawley made a real barn burner speech the other day about. He said that this decision, specifically with regard to the Gorsuch decision, represents the end of what we have called the conservative legal movement. And you might like the conservative legal movement. You might like the things that it has to say. But the mere fact is that we keep losing. We lose on the most Fundamental issues. I mean, they have just, for all intents and purposes, rewritten the most significant law of the 20th century by those nine robed lawyers on the Supreme Court, and they've redefined sex, the most basic aspect of our nature. We lost on Ob- Obamacare. We lost on the definition of marriage. We lost yep. on abortion in and K- and Casey. We- we've lost. By the way,
3: they turned down. They, worth worth noting, they turned down a bevy of Second Amendment cases that would have clarified the right to keep and bear arms at the exact same time they were doing this.
2: Great point. Yeah, that's and- right. And what mm-hmm. it really means is that this quiver in the electoral, uh, uh, this arrow in the electoral quiver for Republicans is almost over. The idea that you have to elect Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton's going to get to appoint the justices. But what does that matter if the justices that are appointed by Republicans still vote with the left? If if that's the case, Republicans are going to need a a better pitch. Ben, you bring up the Second Amendment and how the court did not move to defend it. I think that's a good opportunity to talk about our friends over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. (laughs) When the founders crafted the Constitution, the first thing they did, of course, was make sacred the rights of the individual, share their ideas without limitation by their government. That's the First Amendment. Uh, The First Amendment, not very popular right now, by the way. Uh, Ben, you mentioned that we're in a totalitarian moment, and that is absolutely the case. We still have legal protections for our First Amendment, but culturally, uh, the idea of freedom of expression is really on the chop block right now. But there's good news where that's concerned, and that's called the Second Amendment. The second thing that the founders did, they gave us the right to defend against encroachment on our First Amendment rights by giving us that Second Amendment. We believe in those principles very strongly. Every one of us here, a gun owner, and all but, well, two of us anyway, uh, rifle owners. Sure, I don't think you own a rifle. You gotta get on that. Uh, Bravo. I've been Company thinking ma- about it. You should do it. Bravo Company <laughs> Manufacturing, BCM for short, built a professional-grade product, built to combat standards. That's because BCM believes that the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless if they're a private citizen or if they are a professional. The people over at BCM assume that when a rifle leaves their shop, it will be used in a life-or-death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or a soldier overseas. With that in mind, every component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans for Americans. The people at BCM feel it's their moral responsibility as Americans to provide tools that will not fail the end user, whether it's just hitting a paper target or someone coming at them, intending to do them harm, intending to encroach upon their liberty. Ben, talk to us a little bit about BCM.
3: Well, here's the thing, guys. You may have noticed that there's been a campaign to get rid of guns because only the police should have guns. And then there was a campaign to get rid of the police, which means that (laughs) literally the only people in America who will have guns are criminals, which is really exciting stuff. If you would like to oppose the complete dominance of American society by villains with guns, perhaps you should own a gun and not yep. trust the people who say you shouldn't have one because the cops should have them and then the cops shouldn't exist. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com, where you can discover more about their products, special offers, and upcoming news. That's Bravo Company, MFG com. If you need more convincing, find out about BCM and the awesome people who make their products at YouTube.com slash Bravo Company USA. If you thought this crew was manly, wait until you see the folks over at Bravo mm. Company USA. Let's be real. Nobody thought we were manly. Nobody, I mean, you that guys just worked. played a Paul McCartney song at the top. YouTube.com slash Bravo Company USA to go check out real men who make real manly weapons like like the weapons you need to protect yourself.
2: You know, one of the things that I'm concerned about as a, as a resident of the state of California especially as you watch all the lawlessness, you watch during the lockdowns, they start turning criminals out uh, of the prisons. Then they start allowing for rioters to burn down large segments of the city. Then they start saying, cutting the funding for the police, not paying the police their overtime. I've been very concerned about the fact that the state in which I live, if I am forced to use uh, a weapon to defend my own life, uh, the state's going to actually take up its case against me. It's not going to support my ability to defend myself. It's going to support the person against whom I had to Defend myself, and then I tell myself, "Well, oh, but that is there are still police out there." Then you see this case in Atlanta, and you realize, "No, they're gonna they're gonna actually turn against the police yeah. as well." And that's not in California; that's in Georgia. Uh, I'm sure we may get a chance to talk about that a little later, but something that I'm very concerned about. Elisha, before we do that, I want to hear from some of our DailyWire.com subscribers.
4: Yeah, and one of the cool things about dailyware.com subscribers is that if you're an all access member, you get to chat with all of us after backstage tonight, mm-hmm. and you can watch a live stream of President Trump's rally with Michael Knowles this Saturday. So head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe and be sure to use that code backstage for 15% off of that all access membership. And you get to ask questions on shows like this, like backstage. So this question is for Ben and it is uh, from an awesome Daily Wire subscriber who asks if the governing authorities in Washington state fail to get control of the Chaz, what should the federal government's involvement or strategy be?
3: Well, at this point, there's a serious question as to whether the federal civil rights of people who are living in that area and don't actually approve of jazz uh, are, are being violated. Uh, and, and obviously, if, if this were Amon Bundy and crew holding up at their ranch in the middle of nowhere and being angry that they weren't allowed to kill tortoises, then we would have a national scandal on our hands. But because it's a bunch of leftists who have decided to take over a downtown area of a major city and then just sit there and plant themselves there and then create their own police. Uh, then obviously that's totally fine, according to the media. I mean, the the role here is that if the president wanted, he could actually invoke the Insurrection Act, right? In the same way that he was talking about for rioters and looters. He could say that there is an actual insurrection. I mean, they've declared themselves a separate republic, which is the definition of an insurrection. And he could say, listen, if the mayor isn't going to do anything here, and if the state isn't going to do anything here, then this thing is over in 72 hours or I'm going in. Now, does Trump think that's in his interest? Probably not, because again, a bloody Waco situation uh, with with a largely minority group, you know, fighting that. Although, I, I honestly, if you see the pictures from Chaz, it seems like a bunch of uh, bored white people yeah. uh, with, with a few with a few black people there a- as well. Um, but. I mean that that's also called the city of Seattle. But in any case, the <laughs> the idea the i I mean, I, I used to do a show in Seattle. The the idea that, that Trump has to sit there is wrong, but politically is he gonna do anything about it? Probably not. And and you know what? Fine. Let it fester like a wound in the center of the city of Seattle. I, I actually have a lot of sympathy. It's the same thing. I have a lot of sympathy for the cops in Atlanta and the cops in LA and the cops in New York. All of them are talking about, you know what? You don't want us here? Fine. Enjoy. Yeah, you, you want the Republic of Chaz to, to be the the new or Ch- it's called CHOP. They renamed themselves, guys. It's no longer Chaz. It's now CHOP. Uh, it, because it's the occupied It's the occupied zone. Um, um, if you want that to be the new normal, then just, you know, fine. All right. And you know what? I think that they should expand their territorial holdings, frankly. It seems like a zone of freedom and happiness. Mayor Jenning Durkin in Seattle has declared that it's a street fair. It seems to me that virtually all of Seattle should be put under the tender mercies of Raz Simone and the armed crew over at Chaz CHOP. And they can all enjoy the wonders of a of an anarchic an anarcho-communist experiment. I think that it should just be expanded, and and the left should get to uh, get what they want, good and hard, as H. L. Mencken once
2: suggested. I couldn't disagree more. I won't be satisfied until Trump, astride a mighty white stallion, goes all whiskey rebellion on their asses. <laughs> yeah. that's the, I've been waiting. America's been waiting 240 years for a president to lead troops into an American city. Uh, like the good old days. You
0: know, Jeremy, to this point, this does make you miss the days of Dick Cheney and George W. Bush and the neocons. I want shock and awe in Somalia. I want us to invade the Soviet Union, Venezuela. I want <laughs> tanks and troops and to show a little bit of American strength. Alicia, what else are we hearing?
4: All right, Jeremy, this question comes from a concerned wife of a future law enforcement officer. Mm. She says that her husband just got hired by their local police department, of course, didn't say where, and will graduate from the police academy in mid-November, right after the election. So what are your predictions for what law law enforcement is going to look like five months from now after the election and maybe even five years from now?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Listen, like Ben, I have a lot of pity for the people. Sympathy is a better word. Sympathy for the people uh, who have chosen this profession. Uh, right now. I think that we're about to see a major decline in America's urban centers. I think that the cities are about to descend back into their sort of seven, 1970s, uh, pre-Giuliani uh, crime-infested state um, because what incentive would police officers have to enforce? I, so to answer the question of uh, of the, the member directly, it really depends on where your husband is, is planning uh, to be uh, a cop because I think that if it's in a major urban center, if it's in a city of, I don't know, a million, a, a metro area of more than a million people, I, I think that it's, um, I think that the prospects are kind of bleak. To be, to be quite candid, I think it's going to be a bad time to be a cop in those kinds of environments. At the same time, half the country is still, or slightly less than half the country is still more rural than that. Those are, those are communities where I think police forces are still going to be uh, really respected, where people, you know really look with admiration to the thin blue line. So, you know, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer, except to say that I think even in in leading red uh, places like Georgia or or other states, I think that uh, urban Democrat-controlled areas are going to be very hard on law enforcement for, for the foreseeable future.
4: All right. Next question is for Drew. We've seen an increase in homeschooling, of course, due to COVID and an increase, apparently, national polling of parents that say they want to continue to homeschool. So given that information and with private schools being so expensive, what is your personal opinion of homeschooling? And do you think uh, America would be better off if more parents ended up homeschooling?
1: Absolutely. I absolutely think they'd be better off with more parents homeschooling. I think they'd be better off with charter schools and with any kind of school choice to take our children away from utterly corrupt unions that hide behind the decent teachers who sometimes teach working for those unions, but are basically do not have the best interests of our children at heart and do not have the ba- best interests of families in the future at heart. So anything parents can do to take back uh, their, the education of their children, I am in favor of. It's it's one of the things that may come out of these lockdowns. Uh, already, people are telling their employers they don't want to come back to work. There are people moving out of the urban areas. Yeah. Uh, there are people starting there are uh, women starting to say, you know, this raising kids thing is actually more essential than I thought it was. So I think there are going to be a lot of people who wake up to the fact that we have been going down a road that has taken us away from our families. That's taken us away from the things that actually matter. Look, it's going to be an individual thing. and We don't know how much of it will happen, but every time it happens, an angel gets his wings. And I think that, <laughs> that uh, goes especially for homeschooling. have
2: one was, more question.
4: Uh, yeah. All right, this one goes to Michael, and I think that this is going to be interesting to all of us. If you formed your own autonomous zone, Mm -hmm. like beyond the Michael Knowles studio, what would you call it? Don't use
2: words like autonomous zone with
4: Michael (laughs) (laughs) What would you call it, Michael?
0: What would I call it? Well, obviously the Occupy Zone, (laughs) I've already referred to many of the names that it has. This is a very difficult question. I actually, what we'll need to do is replace... Columbia. Columbia is going to change its name because obviously Christopher Columbus is a terrible guy and the left hates him and he's canceled. So I don't know. They're going to rename it like, you know, Bernie Sanders land or something. And then that Columbia is going to be open again. And I'm going to name my occupied zone Columbia because they ain't tearing those statues down in Michael Knowles territory, baby. We're going to have a statue of Christopher Columbus on every street block and people are going to love it. And they're not going to kneel and they're not going to protest it. They're going to salute it.
2: I honestly feel like we just got canceled. I think that was <laughs> we are now officially canceled. Weekend. It's over.
1: Yep. We're going to be tell here. the difference. So is
2: it. <laughs> we'll hear for some more of our dailywire.com uh, members here in just a little bit. Alicia, thanks for bringing those first round of questions to us. Um, I want to talk about our friends over at stamps.com. You know, the lockdowns have been hard on all of us. One way that they have been made easier, I think, is by the great service provided by stamps.com. when. I used to not go to the post office and use stamps.com because I didn't want to go to the the post office when there was a great service like stamps.com. Now, I can't go to the post office and must use stamps.com, and I still love them. Uh, What if you need to go to the post office during these difficult times? What if you need postage to send out letters and packages? Don't worry. Stamps.com's got you, baby. With Stamps.com, you can print postage on demand, skip those lines and crowds at the post office. That's dated copy. There are no lines and there are no crowds at the post offices. You have no choice. Get Stamps.com. Plus, you can actually save some money with discounts that you can't even get in the post office. If that wasn't good enough, Stamps.com also has uh, UPS services with discounts of up to 62% and no UPS residential surcharges. We've been using them here at The Daily Wire since 2017. No more wasting of our time time. Uh, I say our time. I mean, it's not like anybody here. But at The Daily Wire, we are well cared for by a terrific staff. I don't want to waste their time because we paid them too much. And so we got them, Stamps.com, uh, and it's really made a huge impact in our business. Benjamin, save me.
3: Well, right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and digital scale. No long-term commitment. Save yourself a bunch of time, save yourself a bunch of money. There really is no rationale not to do any of this. You, get, you save a bunch of money. You save top five cents off every first-class stamp, up to 62% off shipping rates. Head on over to Stamps.com, click on that microphone at the top of the homepage, type in Shapiro, that is Stamps.com, and enter that code Shapiro when you click on the microphone so you can get the special, magical deal and then never have to go to the post office. Again, no matter how much you love the post office, now is not a great time to go nope. there. You'll save yourself time and money. Check them out, Stamps.com, enter a code Shapiro at the top of the homepage by the microphone.
2: I wonder, is is the Postal Service actually running in the CHOP? I, I'm not joking. They I have their own Postal what Service. What kind of services do... Uh, what, it, it's really a question of what services are acknowledging that the Occupied Zone is
3: an Occupied Zone and which ones are not? So actually, well, the they, reason... They, they, sorry, go ahead. They buddy. have a Department of Agriculture. Yeah, they have a Department of Agriculture. If, you, if you've seen <laughs> the, the farming <laughs> equipment that they've brought out... It is astonishing. I mean, I'm a city boy, and I will say I don't know much about farming, but I've never heard of a process by which you put down cardboard on cement and then just take some topsoil, plant it on top, and plop a couple plants on top. I feel like in seven years there will be enough food there for one half of a vegan salad, which is very (laughs) exciting stuff.
0: You know, the reason they changed the name from Chaz to Chop, this is not a joke, The reason they changed the name is precisely because they kept wanting the welfare. So they wanted the government services. If you're an autonomous zone, you were declaring yourself an an independent state. They realized that wasn't a good look. Seriously, yeah. So it became the Capitol Hill occupied or organized protest. So you're still protesting within the bounds and you can still receive welfare. You can still receive government services and it reduces the risk that the cops are going to come in and shoot you.
3: I honestly, I want this thing to be like the Berlin airlift. I want this thing to become like fully autonomous and China just starts flying in air supplies to Chaz Chop. And it becomes like this Island of, of communist chaos. You have like the the Castro brothers are sending in military supplies to Chaz Chop. Let's just do this thing whole hog. I feel like
1: I'm, I'm with I'm with you 100 yeah. percent on this Ben. I want this thing to really show everybody exactly what's been being pushed down our throats for all these years. Here it is. Live like this, or you can go back to the way you were before. It's perfect. Yeah.
2: So our friend Although Matt Walsh. Trump
1: on a horse was good too.
2: Yeah, Trump on a horse is <laughs> listen. Yeah.
1: It'd
2: make it. it make a great painting. If uh, <laughs> remember, Matt Walsh is coming up on the show. He's going to be joining us from uh, his studio. Where is Where is Matt? He's on the east coast. He's in the
0: woods somewhere He's in, somewhere, right? in yeah. a
2: car. He, he rarely sees civilization. But Matt's going to be joining us because it's his birthday. So we'll be hearing uh, some great insights from Matt coming up, and plus you'll have the chance to wish him a happy birthday. In the meantime, I want to talk about John Bolton and what it means for the 2016 election. For, for those who haven't followed the news today, you'll remember back during the impeachment uh, hearings that John Bolton was teasing that he had a book that he was going to release. The left seemed convinced that this book would be the nail in the coffin for impeachment. They wanted John Bolton to testify. Ultimately, the Senate decided that they were not going to uh, bring additional witnesses, and so Bolta did not have an opportunity to come up and, and, uh, and, and play a role in those uh, hearings in the Senate. Now, however, uh, he's in a real feud with the White House. He has been ever since about releasing the book. The White House says that they will block it, that there's classified material in it. And so here we are six months later, and they're actually starting to leak, which I thought was going to happen. I mean, isn't it shocking that none of these leaks happened during Impeachment it's, it's, it's
3: not. It's not, dude. It's not leaked. I have a copy in my house of the book. <laughs> do you really? I do. Okay. So, absolutely. Simon and Schuster has been sending out copies of the books to everyone. This is not a leak. There is a full 450-page book. If you really feel like that many musings and note takings of of John Bolton, it exists. It is sitting in my den wow. right now. I flipped through it a little bit earlier. And, I mean, as soon as they did, my eyes burned through because I'd seen classified material and all the world was ended. Um, but but the, the media's sudden recognition that John Bolton is, the, is a truth teller is, is really amusing. Strange new respect, I, I, Strange new respect. Strange new respect, although they still hate him. They, I mean, he's the only one I've seen, really, where they, they don't even give him the strange new respect. I mean, the reviews are all like, yeah. you should totally read this book. But also, John Bolton's a the jackass. jackass. And it's like, they, do, like they, they hate him so much because he's a neo- neocon that they can't even give him the credit of the strange new respect for like the five <laughs> seconds that everyone is normally a lot in this Andy Warholian universe of where you oppose Trump, you get the strange <laughs> respect for five minutes. But the, the part of it that's amazing to me is that any of this is truly a story because I'm just wondering what we learned. You mean Donald Trump says the quiet part out loud and reads the stage directions aloud? You mean that Donald Trump says <laughs> terrible things on a routine basis if he thinks that he's in the midst of a transactional negotiation? Like I'm old enough to remember when he just went on Bill O'Reilly's show and said that America killed people like Russia. So the idea that he said to Xi Jinping that concentration camps sounds amazing. Like that, yes, is it atrocious? <laughs> also, have you been like alive for the past several years? Like I'm, I'm just confused. He has a Twitter account. He says crap all the time on the Twitter account. I assume most people on Twitter can read, although that that may be more more of an assumption than anything else. And. The, the idea that there's anything that's like bombshell revelations. Oh, my God, he's transactional. Oh, my God, he says stupid crap. Oh, my God, he doesn't know that Finland isn't part of the Soviet Union. Yeah. And? And? Like, w- what exactly is the giant revelation here? Something can be news without it actually being news. And I think that's what this book is, really. I think this is exactly I, the I, point I, I here, can't... Ben. I, I, I just, my view on it is the
0: conservative ire at Ambassador Bolton is a little bit misdirected, precisely because this didn't interfere with the impeachment. This didn't really cause any political harm to President Trump. Actually, President Trump thrives when he has an opponent and someone that he can be dunking on. And this is probably going to sell more books for John Bolton. To me, this seems, as you say, much ado about nothing. It's good political drama. But ultimately, is this is it really going to hurt the president or the White House? I don't think so.
1: True. I can't understand why Trump made such a fuss about it unless unless there's some strategy here that is to say not only is he a liar, but he's a traitor. He's revealing all this information because all he's done is give this book. I mean, look, (laughs) a new book saying all this stuff, like Ben said, all this stuff about Donald Trump that we've all heard before. We've seen it in front of us. It rolls right off him. It never sticks to him. And yet he's given this thing enough advertising to put it on the bestseller list. Where I don't really think it would have been that long if he had just kept quiet.
2: I want to start a drinking game for every time God. that Drew says that Trump has strategy.
1: If you say Trump
3: and strategy in the same sentence ever again, Drew, I am going to reach through the, COVID, the COVID-riddled the covid world through the wires that connect me to you at this point. And a hand is going to emerge from your computer screen and just finish you off. Because, my God, dude, we've been in the midst of rioting and looting for, like, Several weeks at this point, the entire Atlanta PD walked off its job yesterday. And this idiot, I'm sorry, like what he's doing is idiotic. It is idiotic. It is political malpractice. I'm going to vote for him, by the way. And it's political malpractice. I've gotten more calls to my show in the last month from people who love Trump who are chiding me in 2016 for not voting for Trump and who are saying, what the hell is he doing? And I don't have an answer because he doesn't have an answer. It is political malpractice. He's he's being handed rioting and looting and he's tweeting about John Bolton and and whatever stupid ratings CNN is getting or is not getting. He's in the middle of a a reelect effort in which he is down by double digits to a dead person. By double digits to a dead person, he is losing by the polls in Arizona and North Carolina. He's getting wiped out in Florida by nearly double digits. And he's spending his time tweeting about, John Bolton's a mean man. He's a very be a bad, mean liar. And also, he's a traitor. And I'm going to sue to get back those half a million books that have already been shipped to people and are sitting in their living rooms. I'm going to go to their house. I'm going to scratch them out with the Sharpie. Drew, if you tell me that there is anything remotely <laughs> like a strategy happening here right now, I'm going to start to question your sanity. I swear. this is This you, is ridiculous.
1: You know, I... I have to say, first of all, I, I agree that he's handled these last this last month at least really, really badly. And I, I've been wondering if. You know, you, look, you can say he has no strategy, whatever you want, but he has instincts. He's always had good instincts and he sometimes had better instincts than we have had when we have been kind of overthinking things. He feels his way. Yeah. But I wonder if being locked down in Washington, hmm. he's basically suffering from the greenhouse effect. He's basically surrounded by all the people the politicians are surrounded by all the time. And he's lost his feel for the people who, who actually nice. do like him. So I'm kind of okay. glad he's going to Oklahoma uh, to do this thing. I'd just like him to get out of the house a little bit more because he can't. The idea I, I agree with you about this, Ben, I the idea that anybody cares anymore who his enemies are when their cities are burning down, when, you know, everybody is uh, the, the economy's lousy and all this stuff is going on and he's still in these private fights. I I don't know what to say about it. I, I just think he has lost his. He's touch tweeting about walking down ramps with he's the tweeting people about- who love him. He
3: tweeted about walking down a ramp. The ramp was very steep and it was slippery. And if I walked very, if I had not walked slowly, momentum, exclamation point. Like what, what, like no one has a job. Everyone's been locked in their house for four months. We're going insane because our children are around us all the time. What are you what are but, you talking about? They locked down LA, they locked down Beverly Hills at 1 p.m. two weeks ago for a week because there are riots in a major city. Like, and then I walked down a ramp and let me tell you, it was the most masculine walk you have ever seen. It was an unbelievable masculine stomping of the ramp in very short, choppy steps. It was not that I have an imbalance problem. What? Is, what are, what's going on? I, on. As,
0: as you know, I love the tweets and yet I, I, I do agree with this point. I've, I've kind of knocked him for some some of the decisions he's made in the past few weeks, I thought the executive order on police reform was sending the wrong message at the wrong time. I I I, I have hit him on a few of those things,
3: and I agree with you, dude. I, I have seriously I, good for you.
0: I, thank you. I and I, I have I have with uh, agreed with Drew here. I think he's getting bad advice. And I think his gut instincts very likely are being stymied by Washington. But I agree with you, Ben, in this broader point that we were talking about before, which is I don't think a lot of this matters. And I agree with you, Jeremy. I can't believe I'm agreeing with everybody. I'm agreeing with you, Jeremy, on this point that the judges don't matter anymore either. And that's the the judge is not mattering because now we can't rely on the originalists. We can't rely on the textualists. We can't rely on, on any of our judicial nominees. What that means is this election is now about the economy. We can't, we can't even point to the judges anymore, right? It's about the economy. I I don't care what Trump tweets. I actually kind of got a kick out of the ramp tweet, but I don't really care about it either. What he's got to do is reopen the country and he's got to get that economy moving again. It looks as though we actually do have a chance at a V-shaped recovery, which we were hoping for a long time ago, and maybe that could happen. That, that's his path to victory in November. And all of these other side shows, the Bolton book, the tweets, Fine, whatever, I don't care. Just get the country moving again.
2: So not only do I completely agree I, that we have to get the country moving again, the left obviously agrees too, which is why the only news story that you read anymore is COVID. I remember that for like three weeks, COVID didn't exist anymore because if you were peacefully protesting and the definition of peacefully means uh, agreeing with the left. So if you were agreeing with the left protesting, it was okay for you to like have 100,000 people crammed into a one city block, uh, you know, like a, a, a one football field size city block. Uh, The problem, though, is the president has, you know, for for the last two years, what people who support the president often say to me is when I say, you know, he's got to pick up millions of new voters in order to win in 2020. And I worry that, you know, he's going to see a lot of erosion with like suburban housewives and, and other groups that he needs to win. And people will say, be honest, who do you think voted for the president last time who's not going to vote for him this time? Suddenly in the last two weeks, we've seen very high profile Trump supporters from 2016. People who sort of led the attack against uh, so-called never-Trump turning completely on the president. And it's not difficult to understand why when you have you know, tens of millions of people moving into unemployment, a complete erosion of most of our liberties, uh, you, the burning, the rioting, the looting, the, the kind of uncertainty that everyone's feeling, that's not good. Uh, that's not good for a president. and we And we're seeing the first erosion, I think, in his actual base, not just in like the fringes of who supports him, but Die-hard die hard Trump, uh, Trump supporters. Um, does he have time to get them back? Yes, but only if he opens the country. And not only that, the only way to stop the looting and the rioting that's happening nationwide is to give us back the pressure valves that allow us to operate as humans, social animals uh, in, in a civilization. You, you can't have it to where the only place where... Uh, listen, Gavin Newsom said today, the, the governor of California today said... It's now illegal anywhere in the state of California to be outside without a mask, right? If the only place you can go in life to have social interaction is to a good looting, that's not gonna redound very well for the for the civilization. You gotta give us movies. You gotta give us Major League Baseball. It's summertime. You've gotta open up theme parks. You've gotta let people get back to life or all we're going to have is more of this disaster. And the president will not win reelection. I, I will say Mike Pence could win the election right now. Generic R, it's a layup. They're burning the city's vote for the other guy. But Trump sticks his finger in it so much, he, he can't take the win. Uh, and so he uniquely can't win if he doesn't get the country moving again. Ben?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that I think that one of the areas that that he's he's kind of blowing here, uh, I, I think the rally's a bad idea. I think the rally's a bad idea because he had the layup. The layup was the left didn't care about COVID until like the last five seconds, right? They, they decided that it was the most woke virus in existence and that if you protested for the right reasons that no one would die of it. Um, and, and if you protested in favor of, locked, of ending lockdown, then you were definitely going to die of it. So it's an incredibly woke virus. It really, it really knows everything. It's, it's a wise, wise virus. And President Trump could have had it all. And by the way, magnified the size of his crowds by saying, what we're gonna do is we're gonna do this outdoors. We're gonna do this with a certain amount of social distancing we're going to take away the baton to the left. Like by doing it indoors and then suggesting that people, the masks are optional, he's just handing a club to the left. And whatever you think of the masks, the reality is that we are in fact seeing spikes in Arizona, in hospitalizations. We're seeing spikes in Texas, in hospitalizations. It's not swamping the healthcare system. As the reopening happens, it's not re-swamping the healthcare system. Arizona just shut down its casinos again. If you actually would like to see the economy reopen and then stay open without sort of sporadic shutdowns again, I know we have significant disagreements on this, but I think that the more people are, in fact, wearing masks, not unreasonably, not like out at the beach, but like in close contact with each other, in close quarters, uh, it, that, that will be a better thing. Like, I'm rooting for a better economic recovery, which is why, frankly, I would love to look more like Japan or Hong Kong if it takes a few months of Japan or Hong Kong mask wearing in order to get the V-shaped recovery, as opposed to this sort of zigzag, we have to shut down, we reopen, we shut down, we reopen. and Even in certain areas of American life, that's going to be very disquieting. And as far as public, public games, it ain't happening, right? I mean, MLB is going to play to closed stadiums. The, the NBA is going to play to close stadiums like the, the, these giant events are just not they're, they're not coming back anytime soon. And, and, people, so are really gonna, need and people, people are going go to keep
2: dying and cities are going to keep burning. Uh, th- I think that's what you're going to get. Well, no, I mean, if they have jobs, they won't.
3: If they have jobs, they won't. I mean, if you're expected to go to work and wear a mask, then you don't have time to burn crap. There's all a bunch of I mean, a lot of this is a bunch of bored 20 year olds who can't get outside and party any other way. It turns out that when Melrose is completely shut, right, when Mel- you saw the pictures of Melrose, when Melrose, every window is shattered and it's burned out. If there were people who are shopping in those stores, then that wouldn't have happened, right? I mean, the, the, people need jobs. Mo- people don't spend most of their time, you know, partying, contrary to popular opinion. People spend most of their time working a job and going back to your office and working a job is really important right now. And if that means wear a mask, then, then wear a mask. You're such a nerd, Ben. People love to party. <laughs> and so I
2: think keeping you guys up to date, as I've been going through this process with our friends over at Policy Genius, I told you a couple of months ago that I'd started the process with Policy Genius. I realized that uh, you know I needed to actually think about the future of the people who who whom I love, the people uh, who I help provide for, and that I needed a life insurance policy. And we've We've had Policy Genius as a sponsor for some time on the show. So I thought, you know, I'm going to go over and see, is it as good a product as you guys always say that it is? Uh, I signed up for the process through Policy Genius and through another website just to compare them. Hands down, Policy Genius provided an amazing service. And I've continued to go through that process these last eight weeks. Policy Genius sent someone to uh, my home in the middle of the lockdowns to do the sort of medical work that, that's required for a life insurance policy. They got that. Uh, I had I got some follow-up medical procedures done. Uh, and just this week, since the last time that we all saw each other, I actually got approval for my life insurance policy. So my days are numbered. My wife has come to realize that she's going to be just fine if I'm gone. And I've made a tragic, horrible mistake. <laughs> That's what I've come to realize. But I can't speak highly enough about policy genius and how easy it was to make this happen, even in these very difficult times. I mean, obviously special circumstances. It would be even easier had this not been going on, but they went above and beyond right now. You have to get life insurance. And yes, you can get it even in these difficult times. As an insurance marketplace, Policy Genius is in contact with the life insurance companies on their platform every day. They're keeping track of all the changes in the market so that you don't have to, which means they can get you covered quickly and for the best price. It's very simple how it works you go over to policy genius they compare quotes from all the top life insurance companies in one place it only takes a few minutes to compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price this doesn't just save a lot of legwork you could save $1500 or more a year by using policy genius to compare life insurance policy once you apply the policy genius team will handle all the paperwork the red tape for free if you hit any speed bumps along the application process They'll be there to take care of everything. I bought my first policy. I couldn't be happier. I'm about to buy one on my wife because two can play that game. Man, <laughs> policy genius.
3: <laughs> well, if you are one of the many people looking to buy life insurance right now, if you've heard us talking this entire time and you realized just during this, during this broadcast Your risk of death has radically escalated over the past (laughs) several weeks, either from COVID or from rioting or looting or from the lack of police or from the other thousand things that we'll scare you with. I haven't even talked about India and China and the possibility of nuclear war. Well, if you're worried about all that stuff, now's a great time to buy life insurance. So head on over to Policy Genius. (laughs) Policy Genius will find you the best rate, handle the process completely soup to nuts. They'll get you and your family protected, hopefully give you one less thing to worry about. Head on over to policygenius.com for all of your insurance needs.
2: So I know that everybody is anxious to hear from Matt Walsh. It's his birthday. We're going to wish him a happy birthday. He's going to be with us uh, in in just a few minutes. But I made it my priority that we're going to get to more questions than we ever have on a backstage broadcast before. And I am going to live up to that commitment. Elisha, what are you hearing over there?
4: All right, and to ask those questions, by the way, if you're not already an awesome Daily Wire subscriber who we love and appreciate so much, and you guys are the very, very best, um, head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use that code backstage for 15% off. And then you can ask us questions right now during the backstage show afterwards in our discussion or on that live stream that uh, Ben just said that President Trump shouldn't be doing the rally for my home state of Oklahoma. You can watch that rally with Michael Knowles and chat with him about it. This first question is for the great Andrew Clavin. Uh, This subscriber wants to know, when do you think that people are going to realize how hypocritical Hollywood is? Example, they claim that they're so woke and want to destroy those in power, yet they are in power themselves.
1: Yeah. You know, I don't think people are fooled by Hollywood. Nobody listens to what celebrities say. I think the problem people, people, especially on the right, don't understand the way uh, the culture works. It's kind of like a cloud. It's kind of like the atmosphere that we breathe in and out. It's not, you know, some clown getting up at the Oscars and telling us that we're idiots for voting for Trump. We know they're fools. We know they're, you know, berserk, crazy people and have nothing authoritative to say. But after a while, when you pump this kind of propaganda into the atmosphere long enough, you just start to have the idea that there are certain things you can't say, certain things you can't think, uh, certain ways in which you're not supposed to approach the world. You know, just the other day, I was talking to a, a fairly important uh, Hollywood mogul who said to me, "Oh, well, I can't tell that story anymore. I was trying to tell him about something I thought should be made. And I said, why can't you tell it? You know, what what is to stop you? There's no you don't have to worry about distribution. You have it. You can put it on TV. You can put it on your own place and people will see it. People just close down mentally. So it's not a question of realizing what Hollywood people are. It's a question of getting people into Hollywood or getting people into the movie and creative business who don't have the same opinions as everybody else so that they can start to have visions. And, and we can start to see art created by people like us who see the world as we do. That's the important thing.
2: Yeah, essentially, Hollywood is comprised of that little monkey with the fez hat and the cymbals who goes around (laughs) and gets your coins, right? (laughs) Except that they have a $100 million budget and they put out candles that smell like an orgasm. That's... That's essentially what Hollywood
1: is. I'm waiting for that to show up now. Don't, don't knock the, the Gwyneth uh, Paltrow organ candle. That's, uh, I'm still I'm sta- oh, sta- sitting by the mailbox waiting for mine to show up.
4: <laughs> oh, God. I think it was the Daily Wire's own Amanda Presley Giacomo who said that, you know, white women must be stopped. And I would fully agree. <laughs> <laughs> all righty then. Michael, how are we supposed to continue to participate in society without succumbing to the dictates of all of the woke scolds?
0: You, you just have to say no, and that requires a cost, and that's where most people give up. We all get this question when we speak at colleges, and they'll say, hey, how do I get all A's on my transcript and still voice opinions that are absolutely illegal on my campus, and how do I do both at the same time? And, and it's, I guess they've really imbibed a lot of the Marxism that their professors have told them, even unconsciously, because they think that you can do something without a cost, and yeah. you can't. Everything has a cost. There is truly no such thing as a free lunch. You do get what you pay for. And so you can make that choice. You can say what you think. And it's going to cost you friends. It's cost all of us friends. It's going to cost you invitations to parties and associations. And that's the cost. It's going to cost you in your career very possibly. I think it's cost almost everybody in this room in in their careers at some point or another. And and that's the cost. But I I will say the only thing for it that, that I can tell you is we should have integrity integrity is a good thing it makes you feel really good it makes you walk through the world with a little skip in your step and it allows you to sleep at night with a grin on your face y- your bank account won't be as full but okay that's fine I- I'd-, I'd much rather sleep soundly and have a good life than, than worry about that
2: hmm. well said you know I
0: will, I will uh, add one the go-
1: you can read the sorry Drew, read go the ahead. Gospels about this it tells you what happens to you when you speak the truth. Yeah,
3: that's right. And it's not pleasant. Let's put it that way. (laughs) I I will say one thing. I think that the, the days of being punished for your opinion are going to end and they're going to end sooner rather than later. And the reason for that is not because of the kindness of the left. It's because we are going to segregate politically. And it's a really bad thing for the country, but it's just an inevitable reality. Eventually, what's going to happen is that if you're an accountant at a firm and you fail to post the black square and are thus chided for it and you say, listen, you know, I'm I believe that Black Lives Matter, because they do, but I'm not going to virtue signal about how cops are bad. That's just not something I'm into. And then they fire you. What will end up happening is that you will end up starting your own firm and conservatives will recognize that you stood on principle and conservatives will then patronize you. And what will end up happening is that the only people who will end up patronizing Leftist causes are leftists, and the only people who end up patronizing right-wing causes are right-wingers, and you'll end up with two separate companies for each element of the market, because that's what the left is doing. They've taken the war to all elements of American society. It's a really ugly outcome, because this is not how conservatives think. I have never once, buying a pair of shoes, thought to myself, I wonder what the political convictions of the person who runs this company are. But leftists have made it an element of faith that you must actually think about that, because the externalities of you buying that pair of shoes may be keeping the environment in shambles or something like that. It's become a religion. I mean, it's a religion for the left. And once you have a religious schism, the religious schism cannot be unmade. I mean, Ask, Ask Knowles has been trying to unmake the religious schism for, for, for a several long time. hundred years at this point.
0: <laughs> no, that, this is such a good point, Ben. This is what the left did in the 60s and 70s. It became their motto, especially the feminists, but it spread out broadly to the left. They said, the personal is the political, meaning every area of personal association now has got to be politicized and become ideological. And a republic such as ours cannot persist as it is meant to exist in that condition. You're supposed to have a separation between the public, the political, and the private and the personal. With that obliterated, our system of government and our system of society is not going to continue to function as it was intended.
2: For this reason, uh, I feel that we should, as Matt Walsh said in a tweet uh, this week, we should do away with the public apology, in particular for private citizens engaged in private uh, activities. When, when that woman in Central Park uh, who had her dog walking off leash, you'll remember, and then uh, the, the black fellow with the cell phone came up and offered her dog a treat, and they got into an altercation, and the woman said, I'm going to call the police. He said, call them, please. And she said, I'm going to tell them an African-American man is threatening me. And implicit in that, obviously, is the belief that the police were, would take uh, disproportionate force against him on the basis of his race. So she was making a threat on the basis of his race. That is a despicable thing that that woman did. I should not know about it. It was a private interaction between two private citizens. She made a public apology. She owes me no apology. She does owe an apology to someone. It is none of us. She owes none of us anything, and we shouldn't even know about it happening. We live in an era where private citizens make public apologies. Public people, uh, politicians who have constituents, uh, uh, athletes who have uh, fans or celebrities who have fans, making public apologies, in some instances, I can understand that. If you live your life in a public way, there are certain responsibilities that come along with that. But for private individuals to make public apologies for private actions, that is a religious act of sacrifice to the God of the mob. And you absolutely should not take part in it. You should never apologize for anything that you didn't actually do. You should never apologize for things that people did in the past or things that worse men than you may have done in the present. And you should never apologize for anything unless you feel genuine remorse for your action. And you should never apologize to anyone other than to the people whom you actually hurt. And by the way, when I say remorse for the action, I don't mean remorse for the consequences of the action to yourself. I don't mean you apologize because you did something bad and lost your job and you're sorry you lost your job. I mean, you should only apologize when you're sorry that you did the bad thing, regardless of whether or not you lost your job. That's the only kind of apology that is an actual Apology, and it's the only kind of uh, apology that you should ever make as an honest person. Never be bullied into any other form of apology, especially the most virtue signaling false kind of of all, which is where you just apologize uh, to the God of the angry masses. Don't do it.
4: I'd just add, I don't think the God of the angry masses will ever be... You know, satiated either. <laughs> ben, Amen. this comes from a Daily Wire a subscriber that says, "How can we take power away from the Supreme Court and give the power back to the citizens?"
3: So the truth is that under Article One, the legislature does have the ability to limit the jurisdiction of the of the courts mm-hmm. uh, in uh, in in the Constitution. So you do have the ability to limit the subject matter jurisdiction of the Supreme Court, and theoretically, the legislature could do that. Uh, the, the reality is that the Supreme Court has never actually been an engine of social change. Uh, the, the great lie is that when a Supreme court, the Supreme Court makes a decision, that it pushes forward everything else. Now, really, the, the Supreme Court tends to follow more than it leads. I mean, Brown versus Board of Education happened in, in 1955. It took until the Civil Rights Act of 1964 for any of that to be effectuated. So the, the idea that the court has any independent power is, is really not true. I, I tend not to worry too much about court decisions simply because— Again, if your state decided to resist the court decision, unless the federal government is going to come in and actually cram it down, there's not much that, that is going to be done about it. Also, people have a, a real tendency to adapt to, to changing circumstances. But if you actually wanted to stop judicial supremacy, well, it would take a couple things. One, a president who just says to the Supreme Court what Jackson supposedly apocryphally said, which is Justice Marshall has made his decision. Now let him enforce it. Right. right? You're, you're going to say that I can't enforce DACA? Well, screw you. I'm going to do it. And then if Congress wants to impeach me, well, then that's their prerogative. Or if Congress wants to change the law, that's their prerogative. But I'm just not going to pay attention. And people are like, oh, well, that's lawless. Really, because FDR basically threatened to do it. Barack Obama threatened to do it. They did de- until, fa- by the way, remember that time like three weeks ago when every Democratic, every single Democratic candidate pledged to pack the Supreme Court and or ignore yeah. the Supreme Court if they, if they didn't like what they got from it? So the, the idea that judicial supremacy exists is ridiculous. There's nothing in the Constitution that says that the judiciary is the sole repository of all constitutional interpretation and therefore has complete power over all constitutional interpretation. That, that is not correct. It is, it is an arbiter. It is an arbiter that has to jockey for position with other branches of the federal government. And in the end, if you really wanted to limit the power of the federal courts, then the Congress does have the power to do that without a constitutional amendment. No. Alicia, I, I really, think sorry,
1: problem, I, I completely agree with this, and I well, I just think that the problem is that the legislature doesn't want to legislate. I think right. that they don't want the power. They've handed it off to bureaucracy, and they've handed it off to the court, and they don't want it back. It's a hot potato because you have to take responsibility for it, and the way you get unelected is by passing laws that people don't like, and they don't want to do that. When was the last time? I mean, maybe Obamacare, maybe, but when was the last time they passed a consequential law that did did anything? And I think they passed laws that have, are four thousand pages long, so you don't even know what's in them. Where you can't you can't be free if you don't know what, what is in a law. They just they mean it to happen this way. And I think it's really on the legislature that they've let this go.
0: You know, Adrian Vermule, who we've talked about on the show before, the Harvard Law Professor, who interestingly focuses on administrative law, he posted something about this the other day, which is that the way our system of government really works is that power flows to the branch of government that is able and willing to exercise that power. And as you say, Drew, the legislature doesn't want to do it. So it's going to flow somewhere else.
2: Great. Alicia, one more question.
4: All right. This one is for Drew. Who do you think is the greatest American character, either in novels, a TV show or a movie?
1: Oh, it's, it's gotta be Huckleberry Finn. He's certainly the, uh, the quintessential American character. He's also the character who, uh, expresses the kind of how can I put it? He expresses the he, he sees America as it is. He doesn't see it as people think it is. He doesn't see it as this dream of floating down the Mississippi. When you look at the uh, Huckleberry Finn, it is a satire of American life. And it's a satire of the idea that you can become anything you want. Uh, everybody in it is a fake Everybody in it is pretending <laughs> to be, you know, royalty from other countries. Uh, and it, it, you can actually look at Huckleberry Finn and see a world in which people will one day declare themselves women and expect to be treated as women because they've said they are. I mean, it's, it's actually part of the American dream. And so he really c- captured in that novel, he captured in that novel something that's beautiful about America, the idea that Huckleberry Finn has the courage and the independence and the individuality to stand against slavery even when the entire culture says it's all right. That's something beautiful uh, in the American personality. But he also captured a-, a flaw in the logic of America that if you can be anybody you want, you you will turn into a con man ultimately. It, he, that book, you know, Ernest Hemingway said that all American literature comes out of that book, and I think he's right.
2: Isn't that because uh, Mark Twain is, is the quintessential American himself? Like, uh, that... That guy just embodies what it meant to be uh, uh, an American man at that time.
3: By the way, you want to read that? Uh, yeah, I, I, I will still make the case that the best that the best Mark Twain novel is Connecticut Yankee. The Connecticut Yankee, <laughs> and King Arthur's Court, is still is still, the, 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 well, there. There's some the stuff in there that. that mm-hmm. No, that, I understand, but now now we've gone far abroad yeah. because I took us here. So. <laughs> <laughs> So in these
2: difficult times, listen, my house, I'm going to tell you, my house is one and a half blocks off of the main thoroughfare of the San Fernando Valley here in Los Angeles. The the main street, Ventura Boulevard, had 1,500 protesters march down it on Saturday. And I sat uh, on my front stoop and watched them go by. And I thought, man, I'm glad I have ring. This is a difficult time. Uh, There's so much (laughs) going on, so much cause for uncertainty. And Ring gives you the ability to keep yourself feeling safe, keep your eye on your safety and on the safety of your property at all times. We're all home more than usual these days. It's very hard to keep a close eye on things. We have more deliveries coming in as we're having to have uh, our self-service at home without being able to go out and do retail shopping the way we once did. A lot can happen outside our front doors and we're not always free to check on things in person. With Ring, you can keep your home safe no matter where you are. Ring's on a mission to make neighborhoods safer from their home security products, which are designed to give you peace of mind around the clock. Video doorbells, security cameras, smart security lighting, alarm systems. Ring has everything you need to make your family and your belongings safe and secure anytime, anywhere. And with the all new Ring Video Doorbell 3, you can keep an eye even closer on things than ever before. Ring gives you protection at every corner. We all use Ring, we love Ring. Ring is one of the original sponsors uh, of our program. So we've actually, we were early adopters. I feel like we all got Ring early on before Uh, It's more ubiquitous now because so many people have realized the value that Ring provides. They've really revolutionized the entire idea of home security by making it a digital, uh, uh, both a hardware and a software product where you can keep track on your home and on your property from anywhere at any time. Keep an eye on your doorstep. Speak to delivery people right through uh, the doorbell, right through the hardware when you can't come to the door. They have outdoor security cameras from which you can check in on every part of your house and never miss a moment. Their smart lighting brightens up blind spots and make sure you always come home to a brightly lit house. Full home security systems give you everything you need to protect your family, pets, and property. I went over to Ben's home recently and Ben has these beautiful gates uh, outside of his house and I shimmied in. I, I know the, the secret code and I kind of shimmied in there and I got up to the front door and I knocked on the front door and I thought he's going to be so surprised because I rarely come to his house. He's going to be so surprised when he opens up the door and it's me and he opens the door and he's like, hey, Jerry." I'm like, dude, I'm at your house. He's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I could see you because of the uh, the ring. <laughs> like, eh, you were in everything ring, except home security, which you've actually made infinitely better. Ben.
3: Get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit when you go to ring.com slash backstage. That Welcome Kit does include the Ring of Video Doorbell 3 and the Chime Pro. That is what you need to start building custom security for your home today. By the way, I have small children, and I have to keep an eye on them at like all times, because if I don't, then they're probably setting each other or themselves on fire. And so having Ring on my property means that I can have an eye on them whenever I need to have an eye on them. Head on over to ring.com slash backstage. That's ring.com slash backstage for a special deal on the welcome kit that includes the Ring Video Doorbell 3 and the Chime Pro ring.com/backstage. I feel like with three
2: kids you actually need like the Ring drone, Dr- yeah. Ring aerial surveillance. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah
3: Jeremy, I've got to tell like, you know, you mentioned you mentioned you mentioned earlier Drew the 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 homeschooling issue and and there's there are those polls saying that many parents are finding homeschooling more attractive after this. And all I can think of Who are these people? (laughs) Who are these human beings? Like, it it finally occurred to me, like, let's let's be clear. My kids are learning more, not being in school and being home with my wife and with my parents and and with me. But school was constructed so that I miss my children. So when I finally see them again, I'm like, oh, good to see you. Because it turns out that when you see your children 24 hours out of every day, and I mean 24 hours out of every day, because those who have small kids know they don't sleep ever. And and so when when you see them 24 hours out of every day, you're like, I need you to go away from like nine to three. And then come back. I don't care what you've learned, but you've been away. And then I can miss you and you're cute. But if I get too much of you then it's like, I'm going to need you to just go in this closet here. Not that I like my kids in, a, in an actual chokey like all Dahl. But, but you know, if I did, then I, I would need a break from the children. And, um, yeah, all, all the it's, people who are in favor of homeschooling, those are the real heroes. Those are, are the heroes today. Kids are very lovable
2: 16 I was referring hours a to day when beings. they sleep so, for 10 of them.
1: Yeah.
3: right. Sorry, Drew, what was that?
1: I was referring to human beings when I was talking about that. I wasn't <laughs> well, that, that's to them, the key. So. <laughs> this is
0: my issue because protecting human beings is good. But, Jeremy, I have to take issue and, and and point out a fact check here. The mainstream media have reliably informed me, while the peaceful rioters are looting all the shops, that property, <laughs> property doesn't matter, man. That can be replaced, which is the new line that I'm going to start using when I mug people, is I'm going to pull out the weapon. I'm going to say, stick them up. Give me your wallet. Don't worry. Pop property doesn't matter.
3: It can be replaced. Thank you for all of your money. So you, you don't want to protect that. I think we should... It, it, you could, it could really be great. You could walk up to them and you could point a gun at them and you say, what are the important things in life? <laughs> <laughs> I actually think this whole idea
2: that property
3: and life are distinct,
2: of course at a high level, at a spiritual level, of course that's true. At a very practical level though, what a rich entitled thing to yeah, say. Right. You have to live in a society that's so rich yeah. that you have excess stuff or and you, and you can only imagine a world where everyone else also has excess stuff. Oh. When in Reality, most people have to trade part of what their life is, which is their time, their health. They trade their labor so that they can afford to have those things that the media is so cavalier about criminals being able to take away from you.
3: I'm also not willing to hear this from Marxist materialists. I'm not willing to hear this from Marxist materialists who suggest <laughs> right. that the definition of everything in your life is determined by your material circumstance. So when I steal all of your money, it has no impact on you. But if you, <laughs> yeah. but if you don't give me all your money, then you have somehow affected my life on such a deep level that I deserve all of your money. Like, I'm not willing to hear it from these folks. Yeah.
1: True. I'm also. I, I find it kind of delightful in this uh, morbid way to have the people who are supposed to be running the country telling us that running the country doesn't matter. I, I, I love having a mayor in Seattle who says, "Who says?" You know, this is wonderful. People, you know, rioters have taken over part of our city, and you think like, "Wait, aren't we paying you to run the city? As don't we actually take money out of our pockets and give it to you so you will run the city?" And she's just kind of abandoned that. It's it's actually kind of amazing you and hate hilarious democracy if you don't mind watching you hate your country. Democracy. I know. (laughs) I hate hate freedom.
2: So I know you guys have been waiting all night to be able to wish Matt Walsh a happy birthday. We have him here live uh, joining us from distant wherever Matt Walsh lives uh, by way of this amazing technology that we have, which probably everybody else also has. Matt Walsh's birthday is today. Matt, thanks for coming by. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jeremy. Oh, man. Are you kidding? We've been looking forward to this all night. I know many Daily Wire fans have been looking forward to the opportunity to wish you a happy birthday so, man, just thanks for making time to be on the show, and, um, you know, happy birthday. Okay, so... Yeah, Michael, I mean, a lot of great birthdays today. You know, Matt, uh, Sopral McCartney, of course, from the top of the show, uh, 17th century Russian theologian, Theophon Prokopovich, you know, also Blake Shelton.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, all really, really important guys, and people don't listen to Prokopovich's early albums, by the way, which I, I thought was much better than his later work. But that's a great point you make.
2: <laughs> it's a very special birthday episode of the mm-hmm. show. Yeah, that's the most important thing. So, Ben, you brought up a little bit early, earlier in the night, uh, in passing, a story that I don't think most Americans are yet paying attention to, but actually could be the biggest story going on in the world right now, and that's this conflict taking place between. China, and India. I think something like 50 uh, soldiers have been killed in the last 48 hours in hand-to-hand combat, which as far as I can tell really just means beatdowns. The Chinese are using these spiked uh, handheld weapons, and they're coming just <laughs> beating down and killing. Uh, these are two, not only the two most populous nations on earth, they probably would have fought many more wars throughout history, except that there's this Tibet, which is for most of history has been very difficult to traverse uh, between them, right, these mountains. But Here you have the two most populous nations on Earth and two nuclear powers actually in a border conflict in which their soldiers are killing each other. Uh, What are we to make of this?
3: Well, all I can say is that I think the only solution here is to send the leadership of Chaz there to to really (laughs) calm the situation. We we need a republic right on that border, a free republic, an anarcho-communist republic to really calm down that border. By the way, if you think that there's going to be a nuclear war between India and China, first of all, like... I can't say at this point we don't all deserve it. I feel like like 2020 has to go somewhere. And it's like the end of a Stephen King novel. It's just a bunch of stuff that happens and then everything blows up at the end. And you're like, well, that was out of nowhere. I feel like that would be sort of the appropriate ending to 2020 and also the world. But yeah. uh, th- th- there's not going to be a nuclear exchange between India and China. Uh, India has always been on the verge of war with Pakistan for, you know, 60 years, 70 years since, right. the, since the origins of the... And so... The notion that these two states, China doesn't actually want to be in an armed conflict with anybody. China wants to economically annex all of its neighbors. They don't actually want to have to yeah. use physical force. They just want to put it such a severe economic pressure on its neighbors that they start making, you know, nice trade deals with them, and so that they give give China control of their security arrangements. Um, but but. China is not interested in a nuclear exchange with the second most populous country on planet Earth, or the most populous country on planet Earth. Not, uh, yeah, not a thing.
0: I think that's right. And and they do as part of this economic expansion, there is a territorial expansion, which you see in Hong Kong, you see this on the border with India, you see this uh, with our interests maybe in the South China Sea. But sure, they don't want armed conflict. And I think this is the key that obviously the mainstream media, but even many conservatives are missing here, which is that while we are all arguing over whether or not to cancel Aunt Jemima, China is growing and, <laughs> and, and moving in on some of our interests. Our geopolitical adversaries are laughing and they're taking advantage while America burns and burns from its own internal frivolity. Yeah, but isn't there
2: the chance? I, you know, maybe it's true that there won't be direct uh, nuclear conflict between India and China. I certainly think that's the most likely outcome, uh, although all escalations are have the potential to be very deadly. But isn't there the risk of a sort of Cold War style proxy war situation starting to break out? I mean, we've just gone through this amazing global economic turmoil. Uh, China has all these ambitions, as, as Michael just outlined. Do you guys worry at all about this sort of proxy conflicts beginning to crop up between these sort of emerging global powers?
1: You know, I I just want to say one thing that as an eternal optimist, I've I've worked it out where there is a scenario where everything in 2020 breaks just right so that everyone I dislike will die. I think that that's that's at least one one possible. What a hopeful vision. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's it's amazing. But but I do think think one of the things that has been hidden by all this is we actually have entered a Cold War with China and we're going to be in it for another 10 to 20 years, if not more. I think that is actually the news story. It's entirely possible that when you go back 100 years from now and you look at the textbooks, the history textbooks, they won't be about any of the things we're experiencing here that are all nonsense. We'll, they'll be actually about the, be about the fact that we've started a Cold War with China, and we're going to have to have a Cold War with China because otherwise we'd have a hot war and that would be a disaster. But it's going to define, I think, uh, you know, it's going to define the rest of my life, and it's going to fi- define a large period of uh, of the next 50 years. And itself. you know, so the, the th- next two
3: two two and a half weeks, really, is what right, we're talking about
1: here. And then we'll move on. <laughs> Save the clavents. Whichever <laughs> comes first.
0: <laughs> this, this is actually very important, though, for 2020, and it's an issue that if, if the Trump campaign is serious about winning, they'll hammer on and on, which is that China's growth, China's ascendancy has been applauded actually by people in both parties, but in particular by Joe Biden. Joe Biden gave a speech where he said a rising China is good for everybody. We allowed China into the World Trade Organization. They immediately broke all the rules and they took great advantage, but it really helped them out. And there was this consensus that China will liberalize and democratize as they grow economically. That didn't happen. That was not true. And I think the people who cheered it on ought to be held to account. First and foremost in this election, Joe Biden.
2: Uh, maybe it's good for America to have a Cold War. The last Cold War kept the left from having its ultimate victory, right? Because they couldn't go to the ultimate extreme without actually being the enemy. Like you're able to define why communism is bad, why the ultimate excesses of leftism uh, are are not to be desired. I mean, it could be that we find uh, that, you know, America needs an enemy and it needs its enemy to be leftists. That's my optimism. I mean, I-
3: I mean, I think there's a lot of truth to that
1: possibility.
3: Yeah. I mean, I do think there's a lot of truth to that, that America does need an external threat in order to have any sort of internal unity. I mean, yeah. that, that is certainly a real possibility. Um, I, I will say that because of the policies taken toward China over the last 40 years in the United States, it's going to be a lot more difficult in a lot of ways. I mean, China is yeah. significantly more economically powerful than Russia ever was. Russia was always a second rate state masquerading as a first rate state. Uh, the, we, we cut them off economically very early. Uh, They were they're really underdeveloped. China is far more developed. China is far cleverer and they're far less ideological. They're just a totalitarian state. I mean, like I don't think they're interested in America being communist so much as they're interested in maximizing their own power. Uh, And I think that's true in Africa, too. I, I don't think they're interested in we need a Chinese proxy. We need a communist proxy state in South America, as much as we need more states in our sphere of influence. So if they had their druthers, I'm not sure that it would look like a USSR situation. It would look more like a, a, a situation where they're funding a bunch of states that just don't like the United States, which is why you see them reaching out to various kind of anti-American regimes without really demanding anything of them in terms of their, their own economic program. And the, the fact that we gave them so much money over the past you know, few decades and, and thought that we were going to strengthen them is idiotic. This is the one area, by the way, where Bolton's book actually does hurt Trump. Right, because the one thing that Bolton does make very clear in the book is that Trump was a lot softer on China than he has appeared to be publicly. Right, China, that he was, he was kind of tough on trade, but kind of not tough on trade. That he was speaking you know, harsh things about Xi Jinping, but at the same time, he was going behind closed doors and saying that he's fine with concentration camps, and you really want to make a deal, and can, can you help me get reelected, and all of this kind of stuff. The problem is that that gives Biden a go-to come back in a debate. Right, China, by, Trump says something like, you're really weak on China. You, you went along with this whole trade regime and Biden comes back and says, I'm weak on China. You're the guy who said that they should go ahead and build concentration camps, according to your own national security advisor. Right. That, that's yeah. the one area where this could hurt Trump. It's a
2: little bit of a challenge that Trump <laughs> that would, is that always hardest on our uh, on his friends. You know, he he actually winds up uh, being a lot tougher on friends than he does on enemies.
1: I, I, the idea, the idea that Joe Biden could remember anything that's in uh, this <laughs> Joe, John Bolton's book is laughable. I think, uh, you it's, know that I just b- before fair. I came on, I read that 55 percent of people think he has dementia. <laughs> Which I just, I just think, you know, I shouldn't laugh, but it's just the idea that people would might actually vote for him uh, over Donald Trump is so kind So, of, Drew, what uh, you
0: read is that 45 percent of Americans are completely oblivious. Is that the idea? Is that exactly, that's, idea? Exactly, okay. right. that's right. exactly right. That's exactly
2: right. Alicia, I want to do one more round of questions, hey, but before we do. Wasn't it great to have Matt Walsh on the show for his birthday? It was nice that to was, hear right. from him. It was
1: amazing. It was, worth the, it was worth the wait. It was worth
2: the wait. <laughs> Alicia,
4: All right. Raise your hand if you're like me, who's been doing a lot of online shopping during lockdown. And raise your hand if you're just like me when you got your paycheck. You're like, I can afford to do a little more online shopping. Well, if that's you, I have a deal. You need to head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use the code backstage because you get 15% off. And who doesn't love a deal? Especially us ladies. I know I'm being stereotypical. I don't know, maybe in 20 years, the Supreme Court will tell me that that's wrong. Who knows? But head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe and you can enter in your questions for tonight's backstage and join all of us for a discussion right after this. We promise we'll all head over there and chat you up over there as well. And also, if you haven't got enough of Michael Knowles, you can talk with him this Saturday when he's doing a live stream of President Trump's rally in my home state of Oklahoma, dailywire.com slash subscribe. So just to right. be
2: clear, if we have had enough of Michael yeah, Knowles. Yeah, hold on. No, forget about don't that, to no, don't, that. Don't have not worry. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Even if you have had enough of Michael Knowles, still sign up because you can chat with me and all the other awesome Daily Wire peeps and ignore Michael. Yeah. I mean, that's an option too. That's for the all-access membership, which are, is our most exclusive club, by the way. So this question is for Ben. Uh, a Daily Wire subscriber wants to know: Do you think it's possible for the left to de-radicalize, and if so, do you see any specific leader on the left that could see them walk away from all of their extreme ideals?
3: Uh, I think it's very difficult for them to de-radicalize because they have so normed themselves into intersectional ideology. Intersectionality is, is the key motivating factor inside the Democratic Party. Right now, there's a bit of a battle that went on for just a brief moment in time between sort of the socialist wing of the Democratic Party, which said that the cure to all of this is Marxist economics, and then the intersectional wing that said, no, 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 you're ignoring the real motivating factor in human life, which is race. And it seems like the race side won and kind of unified with the socialist economic side. They said, it's going to be both. It's going to be both. We're going to have a more socialist, unifying, top-down government control of the economy. And also, we are going to divvy ourselves up among various racial groups. And we can only assume that equality has been achieved when we achieve true economic socialism as well as true social equality, meaning equal results at the end of the day it's going to be very difficult to see the left respond to this until, look, people only respond to losing. That's the reality. People don't respond to winning. So the left responded to losing in 2016 by basically doubling down and treating Trump as an aberration. And it was up to Trump to prove that he wasn't an aberration. Right. And, and so the question in 2020 is, was he or wasn't he? And if he was an aberration, they're going to keep doubling down on this. Right. Joe, Joe Biden basically has signified that he is just a placeholder, That the person who comes next is going to be deep into radical philosophy. Uh, You can assume that his VP pick will not be somebody like an Amy Klobuchar. It will be somebody at the very least like an Elizabeth Warren and maybe like Kamala Harris. It'll be somebody radical. The Democratic Party will move down that path until they are checked. I mean, it is that simple. And if Republicans do not win, they will continue to move down that path. And this has been true in major cities around the United States. Major cities around the United States have been governed by Democrats. The only time Republicans ever win is when things get so bad that there is literally no alternative but to elect a person from the party you've never heard of. Right. This is how Rudy Giuliani becomes mayor of New York. So we're, we're in for a dark period here. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. If, if Trump loses, it's, it's this weird irony where I said in 2016 that if, if Hillary won and Mitch McConnell was head of the Senate, that that would be bad, right? It would be worse in many ways than Trump being president. But it wouldn't necessarily be the end of the world because it would be Hillary doing some stuff and Mitch McConnell checking her. And now uh, it would be Joe Biden as president probably taking along with him the Senate because the Senate is really in trouble right here. Joni Ernst is trailing in Iowa, which is a terrible indicator. If, if 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 there's a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president and a Democratic House, then ironically enough, Trump's unpopularity, which is generating a lot of momentum for that, makes it much more imperative that Republicans actually vote for Trump to stop what's coming next. Because otherwise we are in for a very, very dark period in American history.
0: That's a very good point, Ben, this this moment of sort of the the old school socialists basically getting wiped out for intersectionality. But I do see a challenge to intersectionality, ironically, coming from Black Lives Matter intersectionality is this idea that every oppressed group in history bands together, even if they disagree with one another. So Linda Sarsour, an Islamist, and Gloria Steinem, a feminist, are holding hands at the Women's March, even though they don't seem to have much in common, yet they go together. Transgenderism and and homosexual activists who don't have a lot in common, but they still hold hands. That's the intersectional idea. But that is being challenged by Black Lives Matter, which is explicitly excluding groups from it, right? They're saying it's not about all lives matter. It's not about Hispanic lives matter. It's explicitly about black lives matter except, so, except yes. that if
2: you go to the to black lives matters uh, website and go to their about page they actually have all this intersectional language about trans right. rights about gay yep. rights they're, they're still trying to cloak themselves as part of part of the broader intersectional movement i think what eventually takes down the intersectional movement is its inherent contradictions the fact that uh, that the arguments on behalf the, the arguments in favor of trans ideology actually cut against the arguments in favor of of the traditional homosexual right. uh, uh, biological determinism, right? Or the fact that feminism and trans rights come into such conflict with each other. Or about the fact that groups like uh, Asians in America for some reason don't merit inclusion in the intersectional the uh, And they're discriminated hierarchy. against. And they're discriminated against. I-, I think those inherent contradictions are ultimately going to be what tears it apart.
1: It's also It's also a recipe for internecine War. I mean, it's just right. you can't follow the logic of intersectionality without everybody being at each other's throats. That's why it's sometimes entertaining to watch them devour one another, <laughs> which is ultimately all they'll be—they'll be able to do.
2: Yeah. Alicia,
4: I guess all we need is love, right? Get it? <laughs> <laughs> get it? Hey, <laughs> okay. we could next Hi. episode. The guitars, guys. Next episode. <laughs> Can we get the guitars back? Uh, This question is for Drew. This comes from a Daily Wire subscriber that lives in Minneapolis area. And of course, the park board just voted there not only to move towards defunding the police, but they also voted to let the homeless sleep in their parks, something that our state of California has been doing for a while, by the way. And so they want to know what is the purpose of the leftists and goal here? Like, how is this helping homeless people?
1: Oh, they're, they're not helping anybody. They're just actually uh, consolidating their power. They're consolidating their power. Chaos is always, uh, always leads to more power at the top. And they, they basically have lost faith in the actual system of governance that, that they're supposedly running. So it actually is a moment when their, their idea that, they, that emptying out the system that they are on top of is the thing to do. If you destroy the police, as I think it was Ben said earlier, if you destroy the police, basically only bad people will have guns. You disarm the populace, you get rid of the police, there's only bad people with guns. Underneath that, underlying that is is an idea that that this country is something terrible, that order and civilization is something terrible, and some of them actually say that. Uh, and and you know one of one of the funny things about this is is always always throughout history the elites think that somehow they're going to be left alone they think that they're going to be uh, able to maintain their elite control while the lower orders kind of devour one another and it always ends up it's always the elites who wind up on the guillotine so it's it's really a kind of crazy a crazy idea and the idea that they have some sort of I mean you talk about Donald Trump not having a strategy the idea that the left yeah. has a strategy that goes beyond the next victory victory is also insane. We've seen this happen before in the 70s. I lived in New York in the 70s. It's madness. The difference here is it's happening so fast that I'm I'm wondering if the short, sharp shock will wake people up uh, more quickly than they woke up in the 70s.
2: He means the 1870s people. Mm-hmm. The yeah. biggest problem yeah, happening right. in New York bit, at that time was, was actually yeah. horse dung. And it was a major issue. What do you do with all this horse dung? We live on an island. Listen, if you enjoyed this broadcast, and I can't imagine that being the case, but if you did, please remember to join Daily Wire as an all-access member. You'll get 15% off using the promo code backstage. Current all-access members, come on over right now. Join us for an exclusive online discussion. Alicia will be there. Finn will be there. Drew will be there. I'll also be there. And uh, we'll be hanging out with you guys for the next little bit, answering your questions. We really appreciate you. Appreciate you supporting the show. Appreciate you supporting The Daily Wire and look forward to seeing you again real soon. Daily Wire Backstage is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer is me, Jeremy Bourne. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our assistant director is Pavel Wadowski and our technical producer, Austin Stevens. Our segment producer is Katie Swinnerton. Editing is by Jim Nichol. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina and our audio assistant is Robin Fenderson. Playback is operated by Nick Sheehan. And hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. Daily Wire Backstage is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020.